Hope y'all are doing well. We are in a new book as we're going through the journey. For, uh, for you that have been with us, you know that we've been reading the Bible together um, for the entire year thus far. And each month we start a new book. And so today we're in the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to the book of Mark. Um, if you're not familiar with that is, just go to the New Testament. It's kind of the second half and it's the second book, um, the book of Mark. So that's where we'll be. I'm going to, to pray and then we'll jump in. Before I pray, I'd like to thank all of those that have already submitted their uh, frog drawings um, for the church. Appreciate that. <laughs> just kidding. No one's doing that. This is shared space, so we get frog drawings. By the way, you should see there's a, uh, there's a, a frog made out of typewriter parts over there by the coffee. That's pretty interesting. Um, anyway, uh, I'm going to pray and then we, we will jump in. So uh, now I just made everybody look at frogs the rest of the time. No one's going to listen to anything I say. It's going to be staring at frogs, but all right. Hopefully I'll get interesting enough in just a second and you'll pay me some attention. Um, all right, so we're going to be in the book of Mark uh, in chapter 1. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your word that you've given to us that gives us life by your spirit as we gather each week and study and look and the spirit comes. Your word moves and pierces, convicts, drives us to our knees, shows us where we are not like Christ, but yet also as you convict, you always comfort with the sweet salve of the gospel reminding us who we already are in Christ. I pray for my friends here. Perhaps a week after Easter, I've already hit some kind of regular routine. <clears throat> Found themselves in a, in a rut already in seven days. I pray that you would stop us all, quiet us all, bring us all to a, a point where we, could, we need to reflect and remember that today you're wanting to speak to us. Today you are wanting us to hear from you. And I pray, God, that we would stop and do that. That over this next bit of time, even though it's going to be a nice day today, likely, and good weather, and there's all kinds of plans and all kinds of things we can do, we can let our mind run, but we wouldn't. We would stop and be, be in this moment. Put our phones away, put our tablets away, and not get distracted by social media or what we need to do for lunch, but just hear from you. Right now, pray for yourself. Pray for yourself that you would hear from the Lord as we look into his word. Take the next 15, 20 seconds to ask the Lord to open your eyes to his word. After you do that, pray for the people on both sides of you. Pray that the Lord would do that for them. Be with us now, we pray. God, I am absolutely dependent upon you. There's nothing I can do when it comes to preaching without you. So would you come, be here in this place. Speak through me and to us all. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, verses 35 through 45. Um, let me read it in its completion, and then we'll, we'll come back and uh, go through everything. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 45. This is the very beginning of the book, so um, there's a lot <clears throat> kind of getting started as Mark unpacks the book. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns. That is why, I'm sorry, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to him, If you will... You can make me clean. Moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was an in desolate, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So we're looking at the book of Mark. If you were here with us a couple years ago, maybe for that 90 sermon uh, extravaganza as we preached through the book of Matthew, uh, very similar in a lot of ways, similar language, etc., etc. However, there are some major differences. Let's see how good you are doing. You've been here with me. You should know this, and you can just yell it out. Who is the book of Matthew written to? The audience. Jews. Jews. Very good. You're not racist when you yell that out. All right. You're just answering a question. It's true. It's written to Jews. So Mark, however, is a little bit different. Matthew is written to Jews. And one of the main words that you'll see over and over is fulfillment. Because he's talking to Jews and he's grabbing on these Old Testament texts. And as he's doing that, he's showing over and over from the Old Testament how Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. Mark's different. Mark is written to people who are Roman, Roman citizens, Roman people, people of action, get it done. And that's why Mark is very uniquely different. Mark will explain the Old Testament more than Matthew will. Mark will use the word immediately, all the time, immediately, 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 because the Romans are action people. And so he's wanting to move the narrative along really fast for them so that immediately he did this and immediately did that. Mark was not a contemporary of Jesus. Mark was John Mark, who was later on. And so most of his gospel, he heard from Peter. And so that's why Mark's gospel is not written as chronologically um, sound, if you will, as Matthew. Matthew follows it. Mark is just kind of telling things that he's heard. And so he's trying to get the story to you, get the gospel to you. But it doesn't necessarily follow chronologically. He's also, Mark, not, not such a good writer um, in his his writing style and grammar isn't, isn't very good. So uh, Mark's a different kind of guy, and he's writing to people who are, who are Romans. And so you can even see that um, as he writes. You know, he, he's got John the Baptist right away, and then he's got the baptism, then he's got the temptation. He's already got Jesus starting the ministry. He's already got disciples. And boom, by the end of chapter 1, he's got him in ministry. And Luke, it's like chapter 3 before, I mean, we've gone through the whole birth narrative. We've seen the kings and, the, and we've seen trying to kill him. We've seen the shepherds. You know, Linus has read us the story. It's not until chapter 4 until we're finally getting Jesus into his ministry. Mark, immediately. Action. Romans. Get this. Go to, we're in chapter 1. We're already in, in the ministry. So 
the book of Mark is written in a uniquely different way than Matthew or even Luke. Um, And as he's doing this, you can see he's getting us into the ministry of Jesus right away in chapter 1. And as he's doing that, the point kind of of Mark as he writes to these Romans is he's wanting us to see how Jesus advances his gospel. How Jesus is advancing the kingdom, advancing the kingdom. So as we're going into this, let me stop and let's ask a couple questions before we go in. Because the title of the sermon, as you can see, you can go ahead and put it up. Just the title page is Jesus' Kingdom Will Advance. That's what this is about. Jesus' kingdom will advance. That's what Mark's trying to help us see. Immediately, action, action. Jesus' kingdom is advance, is going to advance. So let's, let's stop and ask this question. How many times throughout the day do you think of advancing Jesus' kingdom? Day to day, every day. On Sunday, probably more. On Monday, how much? On Thursday, how much? Day to day, how, how often are you asking yourself this question? How am I going to advance the kingdom of Jesus today? Now, a lot of things vie for our attention. A lot of things um, keep us from that, and even good things. We got to go to work. I got to go work for a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer or I don't know what you do, a restaurant, something. You know, we all got to do that. And while we're there, we have to work hard. Uh, And you can say, maybe, make some kind of case. I'm advancing the kingdom at work, and maybe you are. But are you really thinking about it while you're there? Are you just getting the job done so you can leave? What are, are we, how many times are we actively, we got a family and God wants you to spend time with your family and he wants you to build relationships, etc. You've got chores around the house. You've got to do dishes and hopefully you're cleaning your house and it's not, you know, <laughs> a wreck. But anyway, like you've got these things you have to do, right? You've got time takers. So in the other times, and you know in these other times, how often are you thinking about advancing the kingdom? Jesus was all about it and he calls his disciples to be all about advancing the kingdom continually. So if I ask you, if I ask it this way, how, much, how many of you want to advance the kingdom? I mean, we'll get yes and amens till we, the cows come home, right? But let's ask it this way. How often are you thinking about it per day? And then not just thinking, but doing something. How often are you doing something to advance the kingdom? In this particular text, as Mark begins his gospel, he's going to, in a lot of ways, get... Christ's kingdom kind of started literarily for us um, in, the, in the story. And as he does that, he, he builds throughout the rest of the, of the gospel, explaining to us what Jesus does as he goes. Um, we are in a series called Springs of Hope. And the main key as we're in doing Springs of Hope is going to be looking at the healing ministry, these, the hope-giving ministry that Jesus got, does for people. And we're going to talk about that each week and how it kind of um, reflects in to our lives and what it looks like. I'll talk about that in just a second. But in this particular section, I want us to, sit, to realize as Mark starts this writing, as Mark starts this book, he's wanting us to see the ways that Jesus goes about. What are some of the, the, the keys that Jesus has in starting his advancing of the kingdom? And as we look at that, since Jesus is going to advance his kingdom and use some of these keys, then thereby we also should be advancing the kingdom. We can take these things and do these things as well. We can advance the kingdom in our present day through our lives through these things. You're going to see three keys to advancing the kingdom today. So let's go back and you'll see them all. And and let me say this. Listen, this will not be anything new. It would not be anything. You know all three of these likely. It shouldn't surprise you like, oh, that's the hidden secret. <laughs> all this time, never known. Like that's not going to happen. You're going to know. But listen, just because you know these things already, I'm hopefully going to 
take it at a different angle and really push you to think about how often you're doing it and how much you should be and how freeing it will be to participate in it and really start advancing the kingdom. Because I think all of us are going to say, if I say, do you want to advance the kingdom? Do you want to see people meet Jesus in your lifetime through you? Yes, absolutely. All right. So the first one, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. There he prayed. So number one, number one, three keys to advancing the kingdom. Number one is going to come up any, there it is. We will advance the kingdom through prayer. Now that seems not very like really action oriented because I'm talking to someone who likely already knows God because it is God. And so how am I going to advance the kingdom, i.e. get people saved if I'm talking to God? Um, that doesn't seem like I'm doing any kind of quote-unquote salvation work. Well, you are. You are. Matthew chapter 9, 35 through 39 or something like that. Jesus says, look out at the harvest. See all, there's harvest everywhere. People everywhere. Therefore, ask the Lord to send people to pray before they go out. That's the first thing Jesus says is we got to pray but look at the harvest everywhere, all kinds of people, low-hanging fruit, high fruit to climb up to, hard people to get, easy, soft work. We've got to pray first. So prayer is advancement of kingdom work. Here, let's look at it. For Jesus, what is prayer for Jesus? Rising very, I want to pull out some principles that you're going to be able to hopefully get when it comes to prayer. Rising very early in the morning. It's still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So let's ask this question. How serious is prayer? How serious is prayer? If you just had to let, you know, give it a scale to one to ten on kingdom importance, how, 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 how important is prayer? Likely you're all saying ten. What are you talking about? It's easy. All right, very good. That's a good answer. How serious are we about prayer, both individually and corporately? Because if it's a ten... We should be pretty serious. Our, our, our importance level in our own lives should be reflecting that. Let's look at Jesus. Let's see what he does. It's a time for him of refreshment. It's a time for him of delight in his father, to be with his father. He says that he goes very early in the morning. Now, I am not a legalist that says you got to get up at 5 a.m. And if you're not, you're a horrible, horrible believer. That's not what, whatever time it is you start your day and your life stage. That seems to be the moment that you should start praying. For Jesus, he started very early morning while it was still dark. And then what did he do? He didn't just right away start, you know, while I'm dressing and putting my deodorant and I'm taking my shower and driving to, driving to work, I'm going to go ahead and pray during all that. Because if you can do that, the Lord bless you. I can't do that. Because all I'm thinking about is how bad or good I smell or that guy that cut me off. And I'm like, dear God, I just love you. Get, get out of my way. Oh, and I love you. Like, I can't pray like that. Maybe you can, but that's, that's not for me, right? So what does Jesus do? He gets up in an early, in an early morning. Therefore, we all need to practice first thing, first thing in your day. Don't get started and coffee and make sure I got that. And then I got this. And then I got to get myself dressed, get myself in the car. Oh, I got to pray. Like Jesus, very early in the morning, I'm going to, I'm going to pray now. Before the events of the day start unfolding and I get too out of it, I'm going to start praying or else I won't do it, likely. But he also, it says he went to a desolate place. Principle, not a legalistic rule. 
go to a distraction-free zone. Don't pray, you know, iPhone in hand, you know, whatever you're doing or whatever. Distraction-free zone seems to be the principle. For some of you, that's not, that's not necessarily possible because your child wakes you up at 6 a.m. every day, you know. I want some Cheerios, you know, like that's, I, I know, there is no desolate place when you have children in the house. But, but the principle still is. As much as I can, I want to start my day before the distractions of the day start. I want to pray, and I want to be in a distraction-free zone as much as I possibly can. This is the setting for Jesus. He's in a place of solitude with his Father. Mark's setting up this book by showing us that everything for Jesus, as, he, as you see right there, he's, let's go out to Galilee now. So before he starts Galilee 2 or 30, like, it's time to pray. You're going to get that in a second, year 30. Like, it's not Galilee Tour 2015, it's Galilee 30. So, like, before he starts Galilee Tour preaching tour, we're going to pray. I'm going to go out to the desolate place, and I'm going to ask the Lord to bless this. I'm going to be as ready as I possibly can. I'm going to enjoy Jesus. I'm going to be um, in a time of delight and refreshment with him. This is, this is what Jesus has done for us. And in this first prayer, he's finding strength and solitude and intimate fellowship with his father. And this is a valuable, valuable thing for us to notice in our own lives. Do you want to advance the kingdom? Of course I do. You've got to see times of refreshment and solitude with Jesus as an absolute priority. You've got to see it as an absolute priority for you to advance the kingdom. Let's notice the interruption. Peter, I mean, my goodness, Peter, and Simon and those who are with him search for him. Like they wake up, where's Jesus? We got to go find him. Everyone's, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> Maybe that's true, Peter. Um, like, you know, like when you walk in church and somebody's praying and like, you're like, oh, somebody's praying, we got to wait. Got to wait for him to stop. Like we all have that kind of natural inclination. Someone's praying, we got to stop. I don't want to interrupt anybody. Peter is so bold, like, He's going to interrupt, G if there's anybody, like, <laughs> if there's anybody that I definitely don't want to interrupt in their prayer, prayer time, if I feel like, if I could guess who's probably communing with the Father the best in prayer, it's got to be Jesus. Bold Peter is going to interrupt Jesus in his communion. Like, my goodness, Peter, um, you, are, you are a piece of work. So Peter, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. We got to go. We got, there's stuff to do. Notice the interruption. Peter is concerned here. Like, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a big deal. We got to get going. Peter is concerned about the work. So much to do, Jesus. So many places to go. Peter wants to rush prayer to get to the work. How much of us are like that? We can't rush prayer to get to the work. Never do that. I would say, don't rush prayer. Be in prayer and then go to the work. Don't rush prayer just to get to the work and feel like you're being super spiritual. Prayer is the beginning. It is the middle. It is the end. It's the beginning to get the motivation to go. It's the middle as we go when we have no idea what we're doing. And it's the end when the Lord uses us that we thank him. It's every piece and every step along the way. If there is to be any real movement of us as a church advancing the kingdom, there must be prayer. There must be prayer. If Jesus himself attaches this much importance to prayer as he begins his movement through his ministry to see the kingdom advance, and he's God, 
and he attaches this much importance, then how much more should we see the importance of prayer and have it in our lives? Now, I've preached, I don't know how many sermons on prayer, over and over and over, so many, as the scriptures bring it up. But let's look at it this way. Maybe this is a different angle. Do you want the kingdom to advance as a believer through you, through us? Not just, yeah, and I hope they get it done. Like, do you want it to advance through you? How much do you want it? How much do you pray for it? How much do you pray for it? Let me say it this way. How much more should you pray for this? Not just individually, on your own like an island, but also together as a church. Because you're a member of a body. You're not an island. So prayer isn't just an individual God advance your kingdom through me. Prayer has also always been designed to be a coming together of the body, group effort to do this. Several years ago when we started corporate prayer, the first Wednesday of each month, it was, that's all we did was prayer. And somebody said, hey, not as many people come. Perhaps if we also did dinner, people would come. It's more convenient because it's at dinner time. I think it would be, be a great boost. It would be a great help for people. And I was like, you're right, right. So we, we started with corporate prayer and we, you know, there's, there's corporate prayer night and there's dinner. And somehow over the last few years, it's morphed into corporate dinner and maybe there's prayer. And maybe you'll stay for prayer. This can't be the case. It's not corporate dinner and prayer. It's corporate prayer. And yes, we're going to keep dinner going because it's very nice and convenient and good fellowship. But I think that just for all of us, just exposes for us our tendency to diminish accidentally the usefulness and value of prayer, not just individually, but corporately. We don't think that corporate prayer is that important. I can just do it by myself. I, I, don't have, I can go home. I can do it in my bed. I don't have to be with them. Let me, let me I read this last corporate prayer, um, and I've just been like excited to be able to read this anytime I talked about prayer, and the Lord gives me like the very next week after Easter. So, I want to read this, and I'm hoping that it will help us see the absolute necessity of prayer when it comes to kingdom work. Samuel Chadwick. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies. So study away if it's prayerless. Fine with me. He does nothing of prayerless work. Work away if it's prayerless. That's fine with me. He, he's, he fears nothing of prayerless religion. Be as religious as you can if it's prayerless. Fine with me. He laughs at our work and our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. So let me ask it this way. I mean, let me, these series of questions, you're going to hear this in each three of these three points. Who will stand shoulder to shoulder with the soldiers of Remedy Church? And say, yes, I will commit to pray continually, both individually and corporately for us as a church to advance the kingdom. To see the kingdom advanced through us. I will commit to be a soldier. To stand shoulder to shoulder with you and do it. Who will, who will stand and say yes for that? If we, we really want to see this kingdom advance, we can't half-heartedly think that prayers kind of may be important or be flipping about it. We have to be involved. If there is to be a movement of the advancement of this kingdom, 
it almost, and I can't say it with absolute, well, 99% certainty, it lives and dies on whether we begin praying. Because the Lord could just do it anyway, right? He's God. You ain't going to pray, I'm going to do it anyway and just blow it up. But that seems to not be the way it works. So it literally almost hinges or lives and dies on us praying. Keep going. Simon, you know, interrupting Jesus. Jesus, glad you're praying. Got something for you. Everybody's looking for you. And then it says right here in verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns. So he's finished with that town. Let's go to the next towns. That I may preach there also. Keyword preach. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So certainly casting out demons, there is this healing ministry that he's doing. But the main thrust of his Galilean tour 30 is preaching. It's preaching. Let us go to the next towns so that I can preach. Why is Jesus leaving? Like, why is he saying, let's go on to the next towns? Well, let's notice something. Um, verses 32 through 34, you know, just right there in the same chapter. That evening, so this is the day before rising early. Rising that evening at sundown, that's when they started bringing all to whom were sick, oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So he had, the night before, an all-night healing tour. Work's done in this town. I've done it. By the way, if I could just jump back over to point one. Jesus pulled an all-nighter on the healing tour and still found it able to get up the next morning early and pray for us who think that we can't. Um, he's human too. Back to point two. So here we go. Jesus is saying, we have in this particular town already done the work. Like I've healed. I've already done it. It's time to keep going. And so he's going to go to the next town. And as he's going to do that, it's time to, as it says in verse 38, go to the next town to preach. Now, preach in our American English categories means so many, like it means one thing. It means what I'm doing right now. And so I want to, as much as I can, drive you back to the biblical word so we can get a good understanding of what's going on here. Yes, I'm preaching. That's what I'm doing. But let's just, as much as we can, preach. This is in the, in the Greek, keruso, literally to herald or proclaim. Jesus is going to go herald. Jesus is going to go proclaim. He's going to keruso this gospel. He, he's going to go do that. This is what Jesus says, I need to go to the next town and do. I need to Caruso. So let's just flip over, and you may be saying to yourself, Fudd, don't you say this all the time? Like, I think you say this every two to three weeks. Yeah, I do. I do. And we're going to do it again um, because <laughs> um, I got to keep saying it. I got the text is pointing us to it, and until we start doing it, I got to keep saying it over and over and over. So here we go. Some of you are doing it. I'm not saying you're all not doing it, but we're going to keep talking about it. K. Russo, preach. Go to Romans chapter 10, or just listen, 10, 14. Now, in 13, he says, if anybody wants to be saved, they have to call upon the name of the Lord. So how are they going to call, verse 14? How are they going to call then? How are they going to be saved in whom they've never believed? And how are they going to believe in this person of whom they've never heard? If you've never heard of Jesus, you can't believe in him because you don't even know who he is. And how are they to hear then about this person so that they can believe without someone? Here it is, preaching, Caruso. Does that mean that every salvation necessarily has to happen under this kind of scenario? 
Someone's got to open up the Bible and literally draw a crowd and be a male and preach. Is that what we're saying? Salvation only happens under these circumstances? I don't think so, right? Just experience bears that out for us. So what does it mean? What does Caruso mean then? And it says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who, and this word right here, all preach the good news. Paul, that's actually not Caruso. Preach the good news. He takes the gospel um, euangelion, he takes that and makes it a verb, euangelizo. And so if you preach the gospel, you're euangelizo. And so he's, he takes that as his own little verb. So you can use gospel as a verb. It's biblical. I'm going to gospel you right now. I'm going to euangelizo you. Um, so here, he's definitely calling us. As we're reading this kind of, this kind of stepladder, if you will, down Romans, uh, called to believe, believe to hear, hear to preach. Um, those who, are, who preach are sent. None of us would say only males are sent to preach the gospel. I mean, that kind of takes out half the population, right? So females, every one of you are called to preach the gospel. You are called to Caruso, to proclaim and herald. So what, is, what, is that, what am I talking about then? I don't mean that you're called to be a pastor elder. And that's one of the functions of the pastor elder is to do the, the corporate preaching. I'm, I'm saying every man and woman, everyone here is called to Caruso, to herald, to proclaim. Every one of you. So when we see this, where Jesus says, I need to go preach, point number two. We will advance, or sorry, up there, good. We will advance the kingdom through preaching. And we don't need to hear that as, well, then I sure hope that Jack and Fudd do a good job because I guess that excludes me. No, no, that means every single person in this room and every Christian alive on the planet is going to advance the kingdom by being a K. Russo. Well, you may say, listen, if there's anything I'm not, I mean, it's a preacher. I, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, but preaching the gospel like, you're, I got all these categories. That's, I don't even know what to say, Fudd. I don't even know what to say. And I'm going to say, well, that's, that's no problem. As I was just reading Romans, how are you going to know what to say? Here's how. If you just bump it back up to verse 8, here's how you're going to know what to say according to Romans 10. But what does it say, talking about this? The word, that's the gospel, is near you. So much so, it is in your mouth and in your heart, it's literally already in you. That's the word of faith we proclaim. I mean, that's Paul's drops the mic, walked off the stage. You ain't got no words to say. Like, <laughs> it's already in you. So what are you going to say? It's literally in you. It's in your soul. That's what you're going to say. What's already in you. So every single one of us here are called to K. Russo. L let me just make it as... as painfully clear as I possibly can. <laughs> Bring it back to English so we can understand it. That means it would be incorrect to refer me as, as a title as preacher. If I'm going to be as, as like narrow-minded as possible, it would be incorrect. To, if you came up and said, hey, preacher, I could look at you and say, you're the preacher too. Every one of you the preacher. Don't call me preacher. You're a preacher. You can call me pastor and one of the functions of pastor would be the corporate gathering sermon where I preach, yes. However, you're a preacher too, if we're just going to be as biblical as possible. You're the, you're the K. Russo, herald, proclaimer, just like I am. So what is it that we say then? It's already in your heart, as we said, 
but you still need some guidance. Perfect. Back over to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is, this is how he starts the advancement of the kingdom. He, Mark wants us to make sure we know what that message is. Right there. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm going to go build the kingdom. Here's the message. Very last few words in Mark 1, 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. There's your message. There's your me- gospel that you proclaim, that you Russo to people. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. If we're going to have an advancement of the kingdom, we all must be preachers. Danny Aiken says this, God only had one son and he made him a preacher. That's awesome, man. I love that. It gets me jacked up. <laughs> Preaching is an absolute necessity. It's an absolute necessity. Souls cannot, Luther says something along the lines of souls will die They cannot live without the the word of God being given to them. So all of us need this. We all have to have preaching done because souls cannot live without it. So in order for us as a church, as Remedy Church, to advance the kingdom, which I, I think we've all mentally assented with me and said, yes, I want that to happen. We must stand up and be a church full of men and women that will go preach the gospel in order to advance the kingdom. So let's ask those questions again. Do you want the kingdom to advance? How much do you want the kingdom to advance? How much do you preach in your life? How often and much do you K. Russo so that the gospel will advance? How much more should you K. Russo proclaim, herald this gospel so that, the gospel so that the kingdom can advance. Now, I want to read a quote to you by Richard Baxter. Now, the context is he's talking to pastors of literally what I'm doing right now. So he's, he's talking about this particular context, but I want you to hear it in your context, as a, not as a pastor who preaches, but as a member who preaches and the way that you would preach with your, with your roommates or your family or whoever. And, and don't think of it as, you're just preaching at me, because that's in such a negative context. Yeah, I am. I'm K. Russoing you. Sit down. Let's get going. Like, I got some words to say, but not, you know, in, in obnoxious, but in a Jesus-like manner. Um, but, like, I want you to hear as, as Baxter warns pastors that preach and gives them instructions as pastors who preach, I want you to hear it in your context and apply it to how you as a member should preach, how you should K. Russo. Now, we can talk later on about what I mean by the actual preaching of here of just being a pastor and how that should be male only. We can talk about that later. But I think that we've all seen biblically that every single one of you are called to proclaim. Baxter, the first lines just makes me want to quit. This is not a burden for the shoulders of a child. Oh man, that's so good. To preach a sermon, I think, is not the hardest part. And yet, what skill is necessary to make the truth plain, to convince hearers, to let irresistible light into their consciences, and to keep it there and drive all home. Now, again, I'm talking about how the pastor does it, but you're thinking about how a member does it. How would you do this? To drive everything home. To con- to dr- I lost my place to screw the truth into their minds and work Christ into their affections, to meet every objection and clearly to resolve it, to drive sinners to a stand and make them see that there is no hope 
that they must unavoidably either be converted or be condemned and to do all of this as regards language and manner as beseems or in other words to do all this in a way that's loving and Christ-like that beseems I never use the word beseems beseems our work and yet as it as is most suitable to the capacities of our hearers in ways that they can understand. And he says, this and a great deal more that should be done in every sermon. This and a great deal should be more in every time you Russo to people as you want to drive the gospel and affections of Jesus down into them in the most Christ-like way that you can. Most surely it requires a great deal of holy skill. So great a God whose message we deliver should be honored by our delivery of the gospel. It is a lamentable case that in a message from the God of heaven, and that's what every sermon, every time a Caruso happens, it's a message from the God of heaven, when it's, especially when it's using the scriptures. This message of, of a God of heaven, of everlasting moment to the souls of men, we should behave ourselves so weakly, so unhandsomely, so imprudently, or so slightly that the whole business should miscarry in our hands and God should not be honored, but his work disgraced and rather sinners be hardened than converted and all this done through weakness or neglect. In other words, when you don't take the opportunity to opportunities to Russo as often as it come, then you're doing it weakly. You're doing it unhandsomely. You're doing it unprudently. The whole business is not just making people not converted, but condemning them. When we don't live our lives as ministers of heralds of the gospel. And he says, how often have carnal hearers gone home jeering at the tangible, palpable, and, dis- and dishonorable failings, obvious failings of the preacher How many people sleep under us because our heart and our tongues are sleepy and we bring not with us so much skill and zeal as to awaken them? Our K. Russo has to have much skill and much zeal. Your public proclamation, your public telling or heralding of the gospel can't put people to sleep because you're not excited about what Christ has done. Hear that and put it in your context as a member that preaches day to day. It's not the burden for the shoulders of a child, but for serious, serious believers in Jesus. So let me ask this again. Who will stand shoulder to shoulder with us as the soldiers of remedy and commit to not just praying, but preaching, K. Russo, heralding every day to everyone we can this gospel so that the kingdom of Jesus will advance through us and people will meet Jesus. Because I can ask you, do you want it to advance? And you're going to say yes. But will you commit to this? Will you commit to And I asked the question in the beginning, how often do you think day to day about advancing the kingdom? Next one. It's not so obvious in this one, but you'll see it. Verse 40, when the leper comes to him and he implores him and kneels to him and said, Jesus, if you will, if you will, because I know you can, if you will, you can make me clean. That's astonishing faith in Christ. And Jesus, moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him. And said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. Now, this particular section is not chronological. 
if you are in Matthew. This is literally right after the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7 ends, 8 one's finishing. Jesus is walking down the mountain just after preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And this man comes up to him. He's literally walking down the mountain and this man comes up and says he wanted to be healed. And as he does this, he radically changes. I want you to remember, this man is, he radically changes this man's life. He is a leper. In this particular time, lepers had their own colonies. Their skin was rotting off of them. And they had no idea to heal it, how, it, how to heal it. They lost tactile function. They smelled awful because their flesh was rotting. Touching them was putting you at great risk to catch what they had. So no one would go around them. This man is the dirtiest of the work there is. So let's say it this way. Let me go ahead and put up number three. We will advance the kingdom through cleansing. And I don't mean, you know, like we all buy Clorox wipes and clean stuff, like we're germaphobes. And I don't mean that you can just heal people. Because likely, none of you can. That's a whole other sermon. So what do I mean by cleansing? Well, as Christ heals people, all throughout, as he heals people, he always does the healings in such a way that points to a spiritual reality. So here, this man is dirty and an outcast, and he makes him clean. Just like we were dirty sinners and outcasts, and we've been made clean. Just like he, he, he goes to people that are blind, they're spiritually blind, and he makes them to, they're physically blind, and he makes them to see. So every healing is always a picture of the spiritual reality. He only heals in ways that point to spiritual realities. And so here, there's a leper. And this is the outcast. This is the dirtiest of society. And so this is what I mean by cleansing. It means being willing, just like Jesus, to go do the dirty work of ministry, not just the easy stuff. Because there's easy stuff. There's easy stuff if you're good at it. I use this in first service. So I'll use it again, but I've got to make sure I explain it well. Um, if I come over here, and this is my ministry, this is what I do. I, I lead worship on Sundays. Now, this is an important function of the church. The corporate worship through song is it, but this is easy, not for me, but especially if you're gifted. If this is your ministry and you're gifted at it, this is easy. It's important and absolutely needed. But it's not necessarily the dirty trench work. And all of us want the easy work. Oh, I can do a ministry. I'll put all my canned goods I don't want out on my front porch and somebody will come get them. I'll stick a Bible verse on it, and I did ministry. Like, we love to do the easy work because it's easy, right? Just, I'm just like you. The easy stuff sounds good to me, and I feel like I've done ministry. If we're going to advance the kingdom, we have to be willing to do the dirty work, the trench work, the difficult work if we're going to see the gospel really be advanced in the kingdom. That's where, and it's difficult. I know that. It's very difficult. The leper comes up and says, if you will. He knows that Jesus can do it. And he 
petitions himself as a humble petitioner saying, I'm in absolute need of your grace and nothing will happen if you don't do it. Mark is the only one that has this little phrase in verse 41, move with pity. And, and I would say, in order for all of us, including myself, to do the hard, dirty trench work and say, yes, I'm going to do that and not the easy ministry, we all have to have those first three words of verse 41 happen to us. Moved with pity. Now, in English, it just doesn't do justice. It doesn't carry the weight of what he's saying. Um, because it just sounds like Jesus has a pity party for him. Yes, of course, I can do it. I have a pity case for you. And so we all can pick our pity cases. I've got pity on you. Let me help you, you poor soul. I'm, you know, over you in a hierarchy. And you're the needy one. And I am superior to you. This, that, that's not moved with pity. This is colloquially, Jesus' heart went out to him. Literally, this is what it is. Having been moved in his inner entrails, he stretched out his hand. Like, listen, I have been, like, my entrails have been moving this entire week. I have been, like, sick. I've lost 10 pounds in seven days because I couldn't eat. I've vomited for, um, what am I doing? For 18 straight hours. You shouldn't ever say that in a sermon, but for some reason I just did um, on Monday. Like, it, it went through our house like crazy. Every person besides the baby has had this. You, you get sick and then you can't eat. And so I've, I've been moved in my entrails. Like my stomach still right now hurts. And that's what we're, that deep pit disgust in my stomach that won't go away. If, if, if I don't do something for you, this will never go away. Moved in his inner entrails, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. So let me say it this way. Let me ask it. When is the last time you were moved in your inner entrails to show the compassionate love of Jesus to someone down in the trenches? Can you even remember something like that happening? I'm not trying to like beat you up right now. I'm trying to show you along with me along with me, how selfish we can be. Because when I, wrote, when, I, when I typed that, I was like, oh, man, how about you, Fud? I'm asking these things because I think the Lord uses these things to push us. To say, no more then. What am I doing? I mean, my life is a vapor. It's a mist. That's the way the Bible describes it. I don't want to get back at the end and say, what did I do with my life? I didn't do anything. I don't want any of this to happen. Now, let's notice one other thing. This is why I say it's trench work. It's dirty, tough work. I know you're going to say it's Jesus, but listen. He touched him. It's Jesus. He could have healed him any way he wanted. You're clean. He could have sent Peter and said, Jesus said you're clean. This man, who was a leper, who didn't feel so much for years, years, the touch of a human. Not a hug, not a pat on the shoulder, not a hand of affirmation, no any kind of tactile touching to show any kind. And we need this. We are people that need, I mean, just, I love you, hug you. Jesus chooses one of the most intimate ways to show healing to him touched the leper. Could have done it anyway. That's trench work. 
That's being willing to risk to get dirty. Now, it's Jesus' foot, I know. This is, this is your answer, how Danny Aiken says it's Jesus. Unlike any ordinary man, the Lord Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease when he touches him. <laughs> Jesus didn't necessarily stand the risk, but we're still called to that. But this is where it gets awesome. Jesus is not polluted by the leper's disease when he touches him. It doesn't come back to Jesus. Instead, the leper is cleansed by the gracious touch and the contagious holiness of the Son of God. The contagious holiness of the Son of God. So when you're down in the trench work, working with some of the hardest things in ministry, you have the ability to have some, a contagion of holiness of the Son of God go to them and do the kingdom work. This is exactly what he's done for you and me. This is who we were. We were the outcasts, and the Lord healed us this way. The one that no one would have wanted and saved, but Christ did anyway. So let's ask the questions. Do you want the kingdom to advance? How much do you want the kingdom to advance? How much do you do the dirty work of ministry, the, the trench work then, to actually see it advance? How much do you do it? And how much should you be offering your lives then to the dirty work, to the trench work of ministry? I want to show you a picture. And some of you know this story, but this is a, an illustration of this work in the life of Remedy. This is a baby picture of someone um, that was in his 30s whenever we knew him here at Remedy, whenever he was here. His name's Jay. And whenever we cleaned out his home, I found this picture and I stuck it in my Bible. He's married to a lady named Tracy. And a few years back, one of our members said, I, I have this friend, Jay, who, whose wife is pregnant and they're living in their car. They don't have anywhere to go. And the Lord graciously um, helped us be able to secure a home for them. I, I keep this in my Bible to remind me of the dirty work of the trenches, the tough work of the trenches. We were able to secure a house, and they got to live there rent-free. For a couple years, they lived in this house. We got them food. We got them clothes. We tried to keep them employed as hard as we could. We tried to keep them to their jobs as we tried to keep them employed. Um, we preached the gospel to them as often as we possibly could. And spiritually, we don't know at the end still where they were after years of working for them. There were two men primarily that did all the work. And I was, you know, I was with them, and then they did the most of the work. After being involved in their lives for a few years, I was there at their house um, having a conversation. And Tracy, uh, off the cuff, maybe not, probably not intentional, mentions an uncle she has in Lancaster. Can't remember his name. I just remembered it. I go home, I white pages, come and, and find the Lancaster thing and I find the dad. He's an uncle. Call him up. This is a, this is a word for word conversation. Uh, we're a church. We're trying to help him out. Yada, yada. Okay. And this is what he says. This is his exact phrase. Any money or effort you're putting into them, you're putting money into a sinking ship. I wouldn't do it. Literally, you're just throwing a boat in the water, pulling the plug and let it start sinking and then take your money and just throwing it and it's all just sinking down. 
That's what's going to happen. And in a lot of ways, he was exactly right. If you're looking at it, especially from a secular standpoint, it was a failure. Likely. But here we are. Two years of work putting in, and all of a sudden I get a phone call. Tracy had passed away in the home, likely of a drug overdose. Jay was wrecked. He was wrecked. And it wasn't but maybe two to three months later, I got another phone call. Same thing. Drug overdose in the home. And I'm I'm cleaning out the house. I'm seeing things. And I just grabbed this. And I stuck it in my Bible. And I keep this in my Bible as a reminder about the dirty work of the trenches. And even though it's difficult and filled with many stories of failure as believers, and there will always be these stories where it's just like, oh, they express words that sounded like they knew Jesus, but I just don't know. I keep it in my Bible to remind myself that I will never, ever, ever shun opportunities, ever shun opportunities to be in the trench work just because it might be too difficult, just because it might take too much of my time. And it's difficult. But if we're going to advance the kingdom, everybody here can't do the easy stuff. I would say that we all should lean towards the difficult stuff. So let me ask it one more time. Will you stand shoulder to shoulder with the people of Remedy Church and partner with us and commit to not just prayer, not just preaching, but the cleansing or the tough, down in the trenches, difficult work of ministry so that we can see the kingdom be advanced through us? That's what we want. We've all said it. So we're going to go into a time of commitment here. This time of reflection is commitment. I want you to commit right now. Yes, Lord, I'll be a person of prayer. Real prayer. Corporate prayer. Individual prayer. Prayer. Yes, Lord, I will be a person that K. Russo's proclaims and heralds this gospel to everyone you give me the opportunity. And yes, Lord... I want to be a person that's moved with pity. And you want to be moved in your entrails? You got to go back to first. Because me, I am the most selfish person I know. And I will never be moved with pity if I don't start with prayer and ask the Lord, please, Lord, make me a person that's moved with pity for others. Prayer is not just the foundation, but it is the, in my heart at least, only way it'll happen. It's the only way it's going to happen for me and probably for you. Because I'm just too selfish. I'll do my own thing. So will you commit to see the gospel advanced? In this time of reflection, I just want you to think and pray and commit. Say what you will commit to, to the Lord. Prayer, preaching, cleansing. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word that you've given to us in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I know talks like this, sermons like this are sometimes difficult to hear and that is not at all what I'm striving for. I'm not trying to beat up anybody. 
I just know that our lives are vapors. They're a mist. They are here today and gone tomorrow. And none of us that are believers, I know none of us want to live a life that doesn't bring your kingdom, that doesn't advance your kingdom. But I can be complacent. I can be apathetic so easily. And so God, I commit today. We all commit, hopefully, but I commit right now to be a man of prayer, striving after your heart to move and begging you to do it, begging you to move in this city through us, begging you to make all of us be moved with pity for people here. Lord, I commit that I will, K. Russo, Herald, proclaim your gospel to people that come. I will not shirk that responsibility. I will not cower down in fear. But God, I want to be a person that is fearless and loving and Christ-like and tells people and realizes we're all preachers of the gospel. And Lord, I don't want to just take the easy stuff. But I want to do the real work, the hard work also. I pray all of us right now will commit This is not a burden for the shoulders of a child. But Lord, in you, even though we are your children, you have grown us up as mature followers. And because of Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us, this is something we can do, that we can commit to. May it be so. And I pray this in Jesus' name.